0: Hi, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Mark gagne I'm here with Trevor Clifford. How are you feeling, Trevor?
1: Uh, I'm feeling like a dandelion scene on the wind, Mark. How are you feeling?
0: Uh, I'm feeling good. I feel like Michael Phelps searching for water on Mars. Damn. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, we're here with <laughs> well. Shitty Book Reports. <laughs> we're here with uh, Shitty Book Reports, uh, the podcast where Trevor and I talk about a book that we've read uh and you know it's kind of a continuation of a long text thread that we've had going for like 10 years now it's kind of crazy
1: 10 years
0: marks you
1: you, you told me that you have a game that you came up with
0: yeah i wanted to start off this episode uh i wanted to play some kind of game that i just came up with this morning mm-hmm. uh it's probably been done before i didn't check <laughs> but I'll, I'll I'll say that that I came up with it. I invented this
1: uh, and no one else invented it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to bother checking. <laughs> but uh so probably call it something like flash fiction or six word stories something okay. like that. Okay. Okay. So the general concept here is, you know, to convey a story with the minimum number of words. So mm-hmm. like this is normally attributed to The like Hemingway thing with the, you know, for sale, baby shoes, never worn that, that whole.
1: Yeah. 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 There's like a, there's like a Reddit forum that you can go on where people just write these stories that are, um, six words or like, there's like limits of how long it can be and stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, basically I'm just going to throw a book title at you, something that I know that you've read. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I asked you okay. earlier to just
1: Yeah, so Mark it. asked me <laughs> the only thing that I know about what's happening right now is that Mark asked me to write down ten books that I know that he's read. So like ten books that I know he's talked about. So you're gonna throw a title at me and then I do what with it?
0: Uh, so I'm gonna give you a title and then, you know, fast and loose, like try and summarize it or summarize the plot or you know, give your take on it in Okay exactly six words.
1: Some oh shit. Okay, so exactly yeah, six words. Yeah, you
0: ready for this?
1: Okay, I have, yeah, an, idea. I, like I have an idea. I I have an idea. Counting fingers ready. I have an idea. Counting fingers ready, but also um we might do like a, you know, time limit. We should do like a time limit or something like 30 seconds you or pass. something. You like we can that. say pass. Uh, okay. Fine.
0: i don't okay. we don't want a lot of dead air, so we can say pass like uh family feud or whatever.
1: Okay, so I, I bet you I'll, I bet you I'll start some sentences and it will go over six words, but I'll try to be as six words as possible. Okay, all
0: right, all right you ready? Yep. We're so wait, go you're on. going first. Right. You're going first. Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you one first,
1: and then I give you one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. okay. All right, ready? Yep. All right, Salem's Lot by Stephen King.
1: Salem's Lot. All right, um. Ah uh, shit. I'm actually getting... I got it confused for a second with Pet Cemetery, but now I know what I'm talking about. Okay, so... Okay. Six words. Small town
0: gets ravaged by vampire. (laughs) Nice. I I thought of this one because I sent it to you, and uh, the one I came up with was, uh, hurry the fuck up, vampire's coming.
1: (laughs) I know, dude. Oh, my God. That book... I I I know exactly what you're talking about. That book is fucking... It takes him, they just delay the entire, like, final battle scene, like, for six chapters.
0: Yeah, they have a plan, and then it takes them forever, and they, like, have a deadline, and they just are kind of lackadaisical about it.
1: Yeah, it's always like, it's like, and then we only had a few hours until the fucking, uh, you know, demon vampire would wake up. But first, I'm going to go to Susie's house. Yeah. <laughs> Check out what she's got going on with the, with the ritual sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Okay. okay. All right, yeah. give me one. That is a good one. Okay, uh I'm going to give you Lord of the Flies.
0: Oh. Uh Pighead, Conch shell. Uh <laughs> Parachute corpse. <laughs>
1: parachute corpse. Uh, okay. I, I
0: thought you I thought your last two was going to be Fat Kid. No. <laughs> All right, ready? Yeah. Uh Norwegian wood. Oh comet. Yeah, okay. no yeah, Norwegian wood.
1: Um Depressed Girl goes to clinic in woods, that's seven. So clinic woods. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Clinic a depressed girl goes to a clinic in the woods.
0: Um <laughs> nice. Dude, that book is fucked. Yeah. yeah. Again, I have the uh, convenience of knowing yeah. the game beforehand. No, no, this is a great, was, uh... this is like an awesome game. <laughs> um, okay, I was, so. I, I, the one I had was borrowed from the uh, Beatles song, and it was, uh, I had girl, she had me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good one.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, so my next one for you, I don't know if we can get through all 10, but whatever. Uh, my next uh, no, one... we don't have to do 10. My next one for Yeah, I want to pick my favorite one, then. Um, my next one for you is The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh. uh uh
0: <laughs> So uh, easy. Jo- John Wick, but in 1800s Paris. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dude, that's so good. Yes, that's 100% yeah. true. It's a fucking... It's a revenge no, I'm thinking story. I'm back. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um
1: What would I say? uh, (laughs) Okay, I can't top that. I'm not gonna try to top it. All right, uh, Swan's Way. Oh my God, yeah, uh, Swan's Way. Um, (laughs) Reality just isn't what we think. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There's no (laughs) in Paris. All (laughs) right. There's no, I mean, there's no capturing it. But yeah, reality isn't what we think. <laughs> to it. All right, give me one. Mm. Sorry, I was taking a drink of water. Um,
0: Johnny got his gun. Okay. Uh, this one I had thought about before because I, I figured you were going to give me this one. Uh-huh. And I think the best way to summarize it is with the help of Metallica so oh okay yeah okay uh, yeah <laughs> darkness imprisoning me all that i see
1: but that's that's seven, imprison- that's seven so that doesn't work
0: darkness but pretty much
1: me. Oh, yeah okay, any yeah. part
0: of that song should <laughs> be chopped up yeah so i'll probably go with i cannot live i cannot die
1: yeah or, i cannot live i cannot die yeah no, that, my arms taking my legs. <laughs>
0: that taking my,
1: that's the whole book. That's <laughs> it. Uh, no, yeah. Metallica with the song One by Metallica is about that song. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, it's about that book, which is funny. Like, that's a part of the um, there's a Rush documentary that's like the their biography, the Rush biography documentary. And uh, I forget who it is, but they have all these celebrity interviews with, like, how awesome Rush is and stuff like that. And I think it's, like, Sebastian Bach, you know, from those, like, glam bands or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Skid Row. Skid Row. And he's, like, uh, talking about how... The rush, like a the rush record on the back said, like a tribute to Iron Rand and like the Fountainhead and stuff like that. And then he started reading yeah. the Fountainhead, and he was like, "How is this like rock and roll group like firing me up about literature?" <laughs> <laughs> so that that's what one reminds me of by Metallica. It's like, yeah, we read this dope book. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I think we should get ready. I you went first last time, right? Yes. Yeah, so you went first. So I'm going to go first this time. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. So uh, just in case for anyone listening who doesn't know, the next part of the the main part of the podcast is I pick a book that I that either Mark has read or he hasn't read or whatever, and we talk about it. We have like a little book report. We talk about the author. We talk about the book and, and how it came into our lives. And I don't know the book that Mark is going to do, and he doesn't know the book I'm going to do. So. But we might
0: have discussed it. Eight years ago.
1: Yeah, or you know, <laughs> 2 minutes ago or something like that. This yeah. <laughs> uh, this is basically a podcast that tells the story of a gargantuan text message. That's <laughs> Yeah. Um okay, so All the right, book so that you got. the book that I'm doing is uh The Sellout by Paul Beatty and it's uh 2015. So, have you, you haven't read this? No. Okay. So I've th- heard of that. I don't I don't know who that is you've I've never talked to you about Beatty, maybe possibly possibly maybe you'll uh, get it I can't from, remember maybe you'll get it from what yeah. I'm talking about, but so Beatty or Beatty uh, again, another author that I'm you know I've seen interviews on YouTube where they call him Beatty, I don't know Beatty whatever ways, yeah uh pinchon pinchon whatever so mm-hmm. um Okay, so Paul Beatty. I'm going to go through a little bit of his biography, like who he is before I talk about the book. So Paul Beatty, he was born in Los Angeles, he went to Brooklyn College for writing, and then he got his MA in psychology at Boston University. Um, He's written a few novels, um, I think like four or five right at this point. Um, He wrote The White Boy Shuffle, he wrote Tough Slumberland, and The Sellout is his most recent book from 2015. Uh, he's also been involved in a few anthologies and stuff and who Paul Beatty is, is like, he's, he's this amped up African American writer who really breaks the bounds. Like, I know that if he was in this like podcast right now in the, in this room, he would be like, uh, you know, why identify him as African American in the first place? Like he's that sort of, um, aware of his own celebrity and of like the like the politically uh in the u.s and stuff like that so this book the sellout is a really like every single quote that you see out there online or in the news or any reviews will call it a satire and yeah it is it's a satire it's like the and when i start talking about the plot you're gonna be like what the hell like is that even possible (laughs) but um it's just a mind bending book but basically he's saying like a lot of people say he's satire but the real message here is that he's actually not that satirical. He talks about a lot of stuff that you f- are gonna feel like is amped up from like the news or something like that. Like you're you're almost gonna feel like the like it's truth is stranger than fiction, so since it's fiction you're just reading some fantasy story. But a lot of the stuff that he drops in his novels are super real. It's almost like, it's like journalism in a way, like in the white boy shuffle, they talk about, you know, uh, the LA riots and stuff like that. And you read this stuff that is so bizarre that because of his writing style, which I'll get into in a second, you think that it's like fanciful, almost like Pynchon. He gets compared to Pynchon quite often because Pynchon has that thing where when you're reading something, you think that he made it up cause he's so inventive, but he didn't make it up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the sellout um so that's like one thing about paul Beatty is that he is a lot of people bring up is he satire and he just kind of challenges what satire even is because truth is just so crazy um the new york time like he's all over the place with like the new york times you know he won the man booker prize which is um like the highest prize for literature in the united kingdom um and he's the first american to win it so it's also he's revolutionary in that way um, they opened up the prize um, to any English-speaking novel, not just a native UK novel, um, a few yeah. years ago. So he was the first person to win it as an American, and he won it for this book, The Sellout. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit of the plot of the novel. I'm gonna give you one sentence from Wikipedia, and uh, you can <laughs> and right. we'll dissect it apart. So the novel concerns a narrator referred to only by his last name, Me. M E who attempts to reintroduce segregation and keep a slave in his Los Angeles neighborhood of Dickens. This attempt leads to a Supreme court case called me versus the United States of America. So that's the plot of the book. I mean, I feel like I just read like a childish Gambino lyric or something like that. You know, (laughs) um, it's just like, it's very, he gets super convoluted and, um, the The plot of the book that sentence didn't even mention that the guy is uh, you know African American. It's an African American voice who's the narrator of the, of the um, plot from the very beginning, and it has all of these challenges to sort of what that narrative is supposed to be, but also he is first of all using the n-word like prolifically so that is something that interviewers kind of have to get around with him or talk to him directly about um there's a great interview on the bbc that i got some of my information for for this little research thing um hard talk bbc he did a 20 minute sit down interview um where you can kind of just feel um his style and what he's and what he's going for like everything is so hyper real that you think it's not true in the book but it is so like a quote on the back from you know uh the daily mail one of the few books of recent years that has made me choke with laughter that's 100 percent true i was laughing out loud you know those books where you laugh out loud like Confederacy of dunces and stuff yeah yeah that's what's going on like in this book like it's so crazy yeah because like i said african-american narrator who ends up having a slave in this los angeles neighborhood where he's like growing weed and stuff like that he's a farmer (laughs) yeah so he ends up having a slave and um this this uh he, what he's the plot of the book is he wants to resegregate the town that he lives in like he wants it to be segregated schools like black kids and white kids and the reason that he's doing that is to like point out the like how ridiculous and crazy like some american morals are yeah and um like a lot of stuff goes like off the rails like he has this slave and it's really intense um, the slave watches like old um, cartoon like racist cartoons that were made
0: by um uh by anyone back then (laughs) yeah basically yeah like he did a lot of that yeah
1: yeah. he he dissects all these cartoons and all of these like uh what's the thing that alfalfa is part of the kid with the hair that's sticking up little rascals Rascals. so apparently there were little rascals films that were like really really racist and they're like under wraps yeah with buckwheat and stuff and um the the slave guy is like obsessed with that you know that part in infinite jest where that guy is obsessed with nash
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's he like sits that. Sits him in front of the TV like that. Yeah, it's like that.
1: So I'm also gonna take a second to read the first, the very first paragraph of the book. I love reading first paragraphs. Like, just you know, I think a lot of authors put a lot of thought into what comes first.
0: Yeah, I think you have to.
1: Yeah, all and Beatty, that Beatty knowledge. too is. He'll come back all the time in interviews that it's always about the language. Like his plots are just his plots. A lot of them are autobiographical um you know part of this book again this like really weird postmodernist, is it truth is it fiction the kids the narrator's dad in the book used him for psychological experiments when he was a child so he would like tie one hand behind his back for a month and stuff like that and like see what it would do to him and stuff like that um so that's a whole subplot about him kind of like wishing he was you know more Mm -hmm. validated by his father so there's all this crazy stuff in there like that yeah uh the first paragraph i'll start off right now oh and also just to give you a flavor of like you know the different sections of the book there's different sections that have different names first one's called the shit you shovel the second one is called the dumb dumb donut intellectuals um <laughs> the, one of the chapters is called too many mexicans so like he really kind of like lights shit on fire and and sees what your reaction is so uh this is the first paragraph this may be hard to believe coming from a black man but i've never stolen anything never cheated on my taxes or at cards never stuck into snuck into the movies or failed to give back the extra change to a drugstore cashier indifferent to the ways of mercantilism and minimum wage expectations i've never burgled a house i've never held up a liquor store never boarded a crowded crowded bus or subway car sat in a seat reserved for the elderly Or pulled out my gigantic penis and masturbated to satisfaction with a perverted, yet somehow crestfallen look on my face. But here I am in the cavernous chambers of the Supreme Court of the United States of America. My car is illegally and somewhat ironically parked on Constitution Avenue. My hands cuffed and crossed behind my back. My right to remain silent long since waved and said goodbye as I sit in a thickly padded chair that much like this country isn't quite as comfortable as it looks. So that's just the narrator's voice right off the bat. Um, And he just gets into these intense situations and there's a lot of the the subplot runs throughout the book of him kind of mentally redeeming himself from his father and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it just goes along and, and the language and he hits you with a lot of really interesting kind of reflective things. I really love how media obsessed he is um, kind of like Pynchon can be sometimes where he's dropping references, like not only the little rascals and some, you know, film criticism and sort of like history and stuff like that, but he brings out references like his book, white boy shuffle. He talks about Mishima, the last author I talked about, he drops him in there for like a few paragraphs and kind of wraps on, you know, different media landscapes and kind of, there's, there's almost some like art criticism woven throughout and um yeah i mean the like again going back to how crazy the uh the setting is for him and the language the town that it's all set in is in los angeles but the main character rides a horse around cuz he's like an, a farmer from the past yeah. So he rides this horse around and is just like. And I think someone asked him in an interview, kind of like, oh, you're. What is that metaphor? Like, how are you bringing that? You know, what are you doing with that imaginative spirit? And he's like, dude, I I didn't imagine it. Imagine that. That is something that I saw during the LA riots. Like, there were neighborhoods where. you know people were just absolutely in the past like like he saw like a guy who just rode around the neighborhood like on a huge horse and he was like this african-american guy
0: so yeah just insane yeah this is making me think of like a very serious kind of take on like the uh Black white supremacist sketch that Chappelle did
1: Yeah exactly Yeah yes exactly You hit the nail right on the head where he's like You're watching that the white The black white supremacist sketch and it's making You feel uncomfortable but It's in it's almost in control Of you being uncomfortable you know Yeah So he's very, you're exactly right. It's like that where you're, it's like, but taken to the extreme and all this crazy stuff happens throughout the book. And you learn about his father's, you know, psychology experience experiments, because I think Beatty's probably taking that from his field of study as well. Like he got that degree in psychology. Mm -hmm. So it's like this just crazy imaginative mashup of all these realities. And he really is, uh, he's really kind of a quick witted guy who, when he's in interviews and stuff, he really challenges people and. And he has, and the op- he opens up the conversation, I think on purpose because he has to get interviewed by whomever and however, and be like, so let's talk about how the N word is in your book like 20 times. And by 20 times, I mean like 200 times.
0: Yeah. So how you're- old is he? Beatty?
1: Oh, uh, that's a good question. He lives in New York city. And actually I feel I was like, I kind of geeked out once, um, Because I know one of my former colleagues in New York City lives in like somewhere near China. He lives right north of Chinatown on the east side. And he was like, yeah, Beatty Beatty lives near me because I like see him in the neighborhood and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, my God, like that's so it's like absolutely crazy. Um, He is 56. Okay. And you know, he's just this really unassuming. He's supposedly really shy, but the thing about that that's kind of funny to me is that he's really shy, doesn't love interviews, has that whole like persona being projected, but at the same time he like shuts people down like really aggressively when they're when it's it, like I don't even know how to say it. Like he's also more mild-mannered than that as well. Like he's very kind of his politic, like, he was, first of all, this came out in 2015 before Trump was officially elected. Like, the election was going on, but Trump wasn't elected yet. And he still, yeah. like, wasn't the biggest fan of Obama. He talks out about, out about Obama and how he, like, uses drone strikes to kill innocent people and stuff like that. See, he's really, he's That's very, valid. yeah, he's very left-wing, but at the yeah. same time, it almost, in this crazy fucked-up world, it almost feels like he's centrist because he's like, nah, dude, I've always been depressed. Like, I've always been, like you know questioning everything and he gets really his voice comes out in interviews as well as that's what all i'm gonna say like if you watch him or read interviews it's like like in that hard talk bbc thing he's like uh the interviewer's like last month i had cornell west who's a who's a leading thinker like a in black like a black thinker in america and he's like he's just a leading thinker man he's not you know the leading thinker comma black america yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so that's like the whole thing that the sellout sort of opened your eyes to and like obviously it you know it some personal growth for me came from the book i don't know how i heard about him but i think maybe it was the man booker prize or something like that and i was just like i wanted to pick up something when i was living in the uk that that seemed like it was a big deal and it was just the on the shelf and a perfect length like all the stuff you know i think i think it's the pension connection again i think i read something where it was like um this guy's like pension i was like
0: what is it an easy read or was it challenging? Super or easy. That's it, or, it's super
1: yeah. easy. It's that's what's so funny about. It. That's what's making you laugh and stuff because it's so easy to read that you dive right into a joke that like the punchline is the n word or something like that, or it's something so inappropriate about drugs or gangs or violence or race or something like that that it just starts making you laugh, <laughs> and. Uh, And it's just really, it's very easy to read. It's also the perfect length. It's just like that Confederacy of Dunces, like, slightly thick paperback that, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be stuck with it, is basically what I'm saying. Like, this isn't a week or, like, a month-long book or anything like that. It's, like, a week and a half. Okay,
0: nice. Um, Did you reread it for this, or are you taking this from, uh...
1: I i have read this book one and a half times and this is also a theme of the book uh i don't know if this is the nicest thing to put out into the world on a on a podcast but (laughs) i've read this book also when i was i've read about half of it when i was high so this book has a lot of stuff that is like marijuana cultures and references and stuff like that and i've read it both inebriated and not and it's uh it's powerful (laughs) It's really like the, the the thing that happens in the Supreme Court right after that opening paragraph that I just talked about, he lights up like a huge joint in the middle of the proceedings because he feels like he can't get in any more trouble. <laughs> so it's just like it has like one of those weird flows too, where you can, you know, it's a very relaxing read, very entertaining.
0: Is, is this a story? I know you like to think about it, like who would be casted in a movie. Is this a story that could be related to a movie like? yeah translated to film you know
1: what i think it could be um that's a really good question i i i don't know if i have cast anyone in my brain in this movie other than maybe you know you would go the classic like the stupid classic route of doing like samuel l jackson as his slave because yeah. that would be just absolutely i mean it would have like the undertones of uh, that that tarantino movie um okay well who i got a uh, question then who would direct it Yeah, this is something that I've heard. This is something that I've thought of, and a little bit of the history. My my history is I went to film school, so um, I'm always constantly thinking about how things would be produced or what what how could you make it done. I would say, if uh, the mood of Beatty would be like Eric Andre, you know Eric Andre.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so the Eric Andre so, show, satirical insanity. but yeah, insanity, <laughs> satirical but also you start to either get scared or you start to feel something. Yeah. Um so the yeah, I would say like the the a mix of the Eric Andre show or maybe like the music of Thundercat. Um who's the bassist from Kamasi Washington. He has his own albums and he yeah. just like he's he's out there um but yeah, I would say Eric Andre. Okay. Yeah, for it's sure. A brilliant, unique, not
0: <laughs> yeah. for everyone, but N- yeah, be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Not for everyone, but should be like that thing. There's so many moments I've had where I sit down and I'll watch the Eric Andre show with someone, and they don't like it. Like they're like, "Yeah, don't <laughs> like what what's happening right now." And I'm like, "What? Well, like, how is that possible?" Like, I just love every second of it. <laughs> um.
0: So yeah, the sellout. Nice. Yeah, man. You must have told me about that before.
1: Yeah, so I maybe you were,
0: when you were a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I read it like right when I was moving to London, which was a few years ago. Okay. So now, and now it's your turn. I'm gonna flip it over to Mark, and he's going to uh, talk about whatever. I don't know what book he's going to talk about, but we'll see.
0: All right. Uh, did, I say, sure did I say? Did I before bold. you
1: before you start so, before you start? Did I say like less this time?
0: Yes, definitely.
1: Okay, I I was trying to, but I wasn't completely sure. The first podcast, everyone listening, I said, like, way too much, and I'm self-conscious about (laughs) it. So, okay. Go ahead, Mark.
0: Okay. So, uh, I'm going to start by saying that in pretty much all forms of media, I love, like, nonsense. I love dream logic. I love when (laughs) things stop making sense. Uh, Shout out, David Byrne. (laughs) Uh, I love you know surreal humor delivered with a straight face Uh, so the book I chose has all those things and you might classify it as like literary nonsense Mm. Uh, it's jam-packed with weird you know abstract concepts that I don't know if I would call them important or meaningful at all Mm -hmm. but I know that they're really entertaining to read and to think about like this uh, is like
1: this is suspenseful (laughs) <laughs> like, uh, <laughs>
0: concepts like, concepts like, uh, diluting water or, you know, using a system of mirrors to look at yourself in the past.
1: hmm
0: Okay. Uh, so the book I have for this week is The Third Policeman by Flan O'Brien, aka Brian O'Nolan, aka Brother Barnabas, aka George Nowell, aka Miles Nagopaline. Uh, this guy used a lot of pseudonyms. Whoa. Uh, so his real name is Brian O'Nolan. But this book was published as Flann O'Brien. Okay. So he was an Irish author, uh, Mm -hmm. born in 1911, died 1966. Kind of one of the founders of postmodern literature.
1: Uh, His most famous
0: works are this and uh, his earlier novel, At Swim, Two Birds. You know what, man? I
1: have picked up At Swim, Two Birds once, and I couldn't couldn't do it because... It's uh, very
0: strange, I heard. I have... Been read it. It's I it's it's my, in uh, it's a reference.
1: It's a reference to when you start to get into um, God. Who's that guy who wrote that really complicated Irish novel? Joyce. I'm going to talk Joyce. about him in a second. So okay. So okay. So, <laughs> so okay. I'm excited because I, I haven't been able to break into this yet, and if you've broken into this guy, then I'm interested. So
0: oh um I've re- I've I've read a lot about At Swim Two Birds, and I've actually been looking for it it used bookstores for fucking years. Okay. And it's a book that I've just never happened across. And I know I could just buy it any fucking second on Amazon, but I always, I've been trying to find it naturally. No, the destiny. And it the just destiny. hasn't happened.
1: Yeah. You yeah. To... Yeah.
0: So I'm going to wait until I find it.
1: You know what, dude, if I find my coffee, I will send it to you. Cause I okay. did, I yeah. like, I don't even, I think I might've even given it up in a move, which is like the ultimate insult for me. <laughs> so damn. I don't know, but it was, I mean, if you're going to crack the nutshell on him, then I'm
0: excited. So, Continue, please. Okay. So, all right. So yeah, the easiest connection you can make with this guy, since he's an Irish author who wrote about just bizarre shit, Mm -hmm. is to compare him to James Joyce. And you know, he was clearly and and openly influenced by Joyce. Uh, But reading more about this guy, it seems he kind of grew to hate this comparison. (laughs) Uh, So I would I would say that the third policeman is like Joyce, but it's without. It doesn't have any of the tedious. You know, impossible-to-know references that you need, like, six master's degrees to understand. Right. It doesn't need a, you know, a companion mm-hmm. book to understand it Right. or yeah. anything. It's, it's, it's kind of a, not straightforward because it's insane, but it's a, a nice little story. It's, it's easier to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, this book, it's got plenty of references and footnotes and all that mm-hmm. but they all refer to shit that the, the author just made up so it's like fully self-contained <laughs> with it with its own history lore uh logic and and laws of physics even
1: Wow. Uh, okay
0: so before i go into the plot so more about the author uh he was a journalist he had 10 siblings that he pretty much supported um and he had a position in the irish civil service so like a, a nice government job mm-hmm. um 10 siblings? Civil... Yeah. All right. And his parents, like, I, I, I assume that because he was supporting them that his parents might have been dead or out of the picture or something. But mm-hmm. so he had a job Irish with the Irish Civil Service, which is, you know, a strictly apolitical group. Uh, so that's kind of where he developed the use of pseudonyms, essentially, okay. so he yep. could talk shit about the senior politicians. Mm-hmm. In, like, the Irish Times newspaper and other publications without uh, okay. you know, losing his position. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But apparently, that was, like, an open secret. Mm-hmm. And eventually, like, he had to resign. Okay. Yeah, so that's a little about uh, Brian O'Nolan. Uh, but the interesting thing about this book is that it was published, <laughs> you know, a year after his death. Yeah. Um, oh, so was he it? Tried to, yeah, he he tried to get it published twice in 1939 and 1940 and it was denied twice. (laughs) So he made up (laughs) this, apparently he made up a story to his friends about like how he left the window open in his, in his car or something. And like the whole, the only man, the only existing manuscript like flew away piece by piece. But in reality, (laughs) he just kind of kept it in his office in plain sight for years. Oh, okay. So then it was, you know, uh, I guess his, uh, his widow, um, Submitted it, you know, a year after his death, and then they published it.
1: Okay, interesting. It's sort of like a confederacy of dunces. Yeah,
0: but he was proud of it, and yeah, he uh, died of cancer or something. Okay. Um, So, I'm going to read the author's summary of the plot first, and then I'm going to try and take a stab at it myself. Okay. It's going to be weird and difficult.
1: This is his own summary of the
0: yeah this is this is a letter that he wrote to his publisher okay okay so briefly the story I have in mind opens as a very orthodox murder mystery in a rural district. The perplexed parties have recourse to the local barrack which however contains some very extraordinary policemen who do not confine their investigations or activities to this world or to any known planes or dimensions their most Casual remarks create a thousand other mysteries. The whole point of my plan will be the perfectly logical and matter of fact treatment of the most brain staggering imponderables of the policemen. When you get to the end of the book, you realize my hero or main character, in parentheses he says, he's a heel and a killer, has been dead throughout the book and that all the queer ghastly things which have been happening to him are happening in a sort of hell which he has earned for the killing. Towards the end of the book, Before you know he's dead, he he manages to get back to his own house where he used to live with another man who helped in the original murder. Although he has been away three days, this other fellow is 20 years older and dies of fright when he sees the other lad standing in the door. Then the two of them walk back along the road to the Hell Place and start going through all the same terrible adventures again, the first fellow being surprised and frightened at everything just as he was the first time, and as if he had never been through it before. It is made clear that this sort of thing goes on forever and there you are it is supposed to be very funny but i don't know about that either dot 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 i think the idea of a man being dead is pretty new when you are writing about the world the world of the dead and the damned where none of the rules and laws not even the law of gravity holds good there is any amount of scope for back chat and funny cracks So it was rejected after that. <laughs> Damn, okay. He so. had rejected after that, okay. So the plot is, it's, I'm
1: going it, to take a stab
0: at it, but it's kind of too your difficult plot to summarize. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a little too difficult to summarize without being like, you know, this happened, then this happened, then this happened.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But essentially, to me, it's like a kind of a, a fucked up phantom toll booth. Have you ever read that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's that was one of my favorite books growing up. Uh, but yeah, like the plot it it makes as much sense as, you know, it's like trying to summarize like a a two-disc concept album that Primus would make or something like it's not going to be not going to make very much sense. Um, but I'll try. So the main character uh, he's this orphan who lives on a farm that his parents left him with uh, you know, a, a farmhand who lives with him
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, he's obsessed with like this hack philosopher that the author made up named uh, De Selby. and that philosopher is known for such th- theories that like nighttime is due to volcanic activity creating black air and you can only see when you strike a match because the black air is combustible and weird theories like diluting water and like I said like looking at system of mirrors to see yourself mm-hmm. as a child yeah uh, that any, a, I knew that so, was
1: foreshadowing because I was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs>
0: so, so anyway, the main character he spends like all his time studying this philosopher, and he wants to. He wants funding so he can write like the definitive critical work on this hack, crazy uh, intellectual. So, him and the farmhand like come up with a plan to kill this old rich guy that lives down the street. So, they can, he can publish his book and the other guy can just have some money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, they, they, yeah, they plan to kill him. They end up killing him with a bicycle pump. <laughs> and then the other guy, whose name is Divney, and uh, so the main character is like, his name is never revealed. So, Divney, that guy, once they kill him, he runs off with like the cash box, whatever they were trying to steal. Mm. And then he hides it and apparently just lets it sit for a couple years. So, like, the, uh, you know the stars can go down in like grand theft auto kind of thing yeah <laughs> so you can wait out yeah. the heat yeah <laughs> so like th- 3 years later or something like they they spend the next 3 years kind of like uh the main character is just like s- not letting this dude out of his sight cuz he doesn't want the money like he doesn't want him to run off with the money mm-hmm. but eventually Divney tells him okay I'll tell you where it is you know that part kind of reminded me of like uh the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, where, like, hmm. Clint Blondie, Clint Eastwood's character, he, like, knew the name on the grave. So, right. Tuco, like, he yep. was, like, keeping him alive to, you know, make sure that he could, you know, find the money eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so he eventually tells him where the money is hidden. When he goes to find the cash box, I guess a, uh, a bomb goes off, or they just say, you know, something happened okay from that point on it just turns into an insane story that is just some strange version of hell where but his
1: his summary of the book kind of like he's uh the guy died right like he start he like died and slipped into hell
0: yeah they don't exactly tell you right but at at some point he starts talking to his soul and you Mm kind of realize that yeah uh He's in the afterlife, and so he ends up finding a police barracks, like this this um, building that just freaks the hell out of him. And Mm -hmm. it's like I don't really think I can summarize the plot very well.
1: It's just (laughs) it just goes so many directions, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. But the way I see it, it's it's like a version of hell that's pretty unique where it's it's like a very sunny very green hell. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, where, you said it's like it's like got dream logic and stuff, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, he's constantly paranoid um and it's like a it's hell hell as like an artificial dream, you know, mm-hmm. something overly colorful and you know, constructed maybe like the the Teletubby set <laughs> where it's just unsettling yeah, for some yeah, reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That Teletubby so set is uh, unsettling. Yeah, he finds us to the you know police barracks that's basically painted on like the Roadrunner tunnel, uh-huh. something like that. And he finds these fucked up policemen who just you know speak in all these riddles about bicycles. They're obsessed with bicycles, and uh-huh. they just have grotesque, grotesque features and dimensions. Uh, they just confront him with all these strange things. They're like, hey, come to my office. Like, check this out. I've got a spear that's so sharp that like the, the ending three feet are invisible. (laughs) And like the point is only the beginning of the sharpness. He like stabs him from four feet away. Yeah.
1: For me, Um, this is like what you're explaining is almost like, I, I think it can be done really well and really terribly like going into different worlds, I think can be kind of like not very satisfying. Whereas from some authors, because they do it well, you accept it. Yeah, You know, I think that's probably what you're like, like, for instance, like I'm, I am not really jazzed when somebody like starts a, you know, oh, we went into a different world. So now like the rules of everything are what my, what the author makes up like. Like, uh, you know, a good example is, like, why do we accept that Harry Potter, like, is the way it is? Because, like, her style fits, you know, going into that world, and it sort of works. Yeah, but yeah. another person would completely destroy it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, no, so... So so, so it sounds works. like this guy is good. Yeah, it's, it's really well written, and it's uh, very gripping, and it's just so strange, but so entertaining. But I want to read a passage from it. That I'm gonna call uh, Infinite Chest. So, one one of the policemen. What? It, it, so, that's
1: wait. It's Infinite Chest.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm gonna call it that. Oh, you're. Oh, I thought he that's already called it, it that. No, no, that's that's what it, that's what it is in my head. Okay, Infinite so, Chest. Go on. In this story, like it doesn't matter what's happening. So, one of the policemen has just shown him like a beautifully intricate chest that he made as like a hobby. It's got all this like ornate brasswork and stuff so then he naturally asks him like hey what's what's inside of it Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: inside of it is a smaller version of the chest it's the same thing it's a carbon copy but a little little bit smaller right so i'm gonna uh i'm gonna just read this passage Uh, those chests i said are so like one another that i do not believe that they are there at all because it is a simpler thing to believe than the contrary Nevertheless, the two of them are the most wonderful two things I've ever seen. It was two years manufacturing it, policeman McCruskin said. What is it in the little one, I asked. What would you think now? I'm completely half afraid to think, I said, speaking truly enough. Wait now till I show you, said McCruskin, and give you an exhibition and a personal inspection individually. He got two thin butter spades from the shelf and put them down into the little chest and pulled out something that seemed to me remarkably like another chest. I went over to it and gave it a close examination with my hand, feeling the same identical wrinkles, the same proportions, and the same completely perfect brasswork on a smaller scale. It was so faultless and delightful that it reminded me, forcibly strange and foolish, foolish as it may seem, of something I did not understand and had never even heard of. Say nothing, I said quickly to McCrusin, but go ahead with what you're doing, and I will watch here and I will take care to be sitting down. He gave me a nod in exchange for my remark and got two straight-handled teaspoons, and put the handles into his last chest. What came out may well be guessed at. He opened this one, and took another one out, with the assistance of two knives. He worked knives, small knives, and smaller knives, till he had twelve little chests on the table, the last of them an article half the size of a matchbox. It was so tiny that you would not quite see the brasswork at all, only for the glitter of it in the light. I did not see whether it had the same identical carvings upon it, because I was content to take a swift look at it and then turn away. But I knew in my soul that it was exactly the same as the others. I said no word at all because my mind was brimming with wonder at the skill of the policeman. That last one, said Mikruskin, putting away the knives, took me three years to make, and it took me another year to believe I had made it. Have you got the convenience of a pin? I gave him my pin in silence. (laughs) He opened the smallest of them all with a key, like a piece of hair, and worked with the pin till he had another little chest on the table, 13 in all arranged in a row upon the table. Queerly enough, they looked to me as if they were all the same size, but invested with some crazy perspective. This idea surprised me so much that I got my voice back and said, these are the most surprising 13 things I have ever seen together. (laughs) Wait now, man, McCruskin said. All my senses were now strained so tensely watching the policeman's movements, that I could almost hear my brain rattling in my head when I gave a shake as if it was drying up into a wrinkled pea. He was manipulating and prodding with his pin till he had 28 little chests on the table and the last of them so small that it looked like a bug or a tiny piece of dirt, except that there was a glitter from it. When I looked at it again, I saw another thing beside it, like something you would take out of a red eye on a windy, dry day. And I knew then that the strict computation was then 29. Here is your pin, said McCruskin. He put it into my stupid hand and went back to the table thoughtfully. He took a something from his pocket that was too small for me to see and started working with the tiny black thing on the table beside the bigger thing, which was itself too small to be described. At this point, I became afraid. What he was doing was no longer wonderful but terrible. I shut my eyes and prayed that he would stop while still doing things that were at least possible for a man to do. (laughs) When I looked again, I was happy that there was nothing to see and that he had put... No more of the chest prominently on the table, but he was working to the left with the invisible thing in his hand on a bit of the table itself. When he felt my look, he came over to me and gave me an enormous magnifying glass, which looked like a basin fixed to a handle. I felt the muscles around my heart tightening painfully as I took the instrument. Six years ago, they began to get invisible, glass or no glass. Nobody has ever seen the last five I made because no glass is strong enough to make them big enough to be regarded truly as the smallest things ever made. Nobody can see me making them, because my little tools are invisible. Into the same bargain, <laughs> what? The one that I am making now is nearly as small as nothing. Number one would hold a million of them at the same time. What
1: the fuck be is room going on?
0: A pair of woman's horse breeches, if they were rolled up. The deer knows where it will stop and terminate. Such work must be very hard on the eyes. I said, determined to pretend that everybody was an ordinary person like myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So it just that goes part on. That stressful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what? He's like talking about, like, it actually is really stressful. I
0: was getting out of breath reading that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my so God. That was this, like, this whole thing. It's it, so
1: weird. It just keeps going deeper and deeper and you're just like, what?
0: Yeah. So this book, it's just a world where, you know, the more questions you ask, the more doubt and confusion are instilled. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, a world where eternity is a lane found by looking up at cracks in the ceiling of a policeman's bedroom and you can conjure up anything by thinking about it but you can't take it out of the room where you get it. Like, it's it's insane and it's incredibly fun to read and it's one of my favorite books. <laughs> I feel like I did a horrible job summarizing it but I don't know that it can be done. <laughs> um
1: do you think in any way that this would be almost like i i kind of i feel like i know the answer but how would you represent this visually like what would it be like a movie like could you do that like what would what would you have to do
0: what Uh, do you see when you read it it would have to be like a terry gillum film probably where there's a lot put into the visual component yeah and all the props and all the sets and i think yeah. he could pull it off
1: so yeah it is, yeah i can totally see what you're saying like brazil
0: yeah yeah
1: where it's just like what the fuck is happening but you're along for the ride exactly <laughs> that was crazy like the, that guy's a policeman <laughs> he's like talking about manufacturing knives and like infinitesimally small something or others
0: Yeah, and so so what it is, there's two policemen at that barracks that he's, you know, talking to, and they immediately kind of suspect him of a crime for, you know, killing the man that he helped kill, and they're just making him incredibly paranoid. They're, like, constructing a uh, gallows in the backyard to hang him, and (laughs) eventually, you know, he runs away, and he meets up with the third policeman, who... Basically, just he fucks with the other two policemen by uh, messing with these, you know, gauges and and things like other. The so two the third, the third like,
1: policeman is is like actually integral. Like when he meets the third, that's why it's called the third policeman.
0: Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of a passageway for him to meet up with the guy who killed him you know his partner in crime was the one who who killed him in the end so he could get have all the money Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: but you know he meets up with him and like in the the summary that i provided before from the author he sees this guy 20 years later even though it's you know been a couple days for him uh in purgatory or hell or whatever Mm -hmm. and scares the shit out of him no one else can his fan the guy's family can't see him but it uh basically puts this guy in shock, kills him, and then, you know, he joins him on the road, and then they repeat the whole cycle again. And I believe uh, the name, they were, <laughs> because of that, they were going to name an alternate title for the book is Hell Goes Round and Round.
1: Mhm.
0: Oh, it, like he, he, that was an alternate title that he had? Yeah. So, yeah, not a challenging read, but I think pretty challenging to summarize, (laughs) but uh, it's awesome and it's very entertaining. There's a lot of weird uh, passages, a lot of abstract thought. And like I said, it's kind of a philosophical read, but it's, it's not like groundbreaking work. It's just something, you know, it makes you think and it's kind of fun to go over those concepts in your head.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, when you were, like, you said it perfectly when you finished reading it, you were like, I'm sure you thought it was stressful to read it, like, for the podcast, but also just what you were saying was stressful. Like, like yeah. I, I feel like I got to read this book with, like, some, like, you know, Xanax by the side of the bed or something. So, like, I, you know, it made me feel, like, on edge.
0: Yeah, you know, it's kind of, it could probably easily be classified as comedy with, like, some modifications, and it could probably easily be modified into straight up horror with <laughs> yeah. some other modifications. But uh, it kind of toes the line between the two, and it's also, yeah, it's just a very interesting read. Um, yeah, I, I was that, out of breath reading that. Well, <laughs> I was stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: that was uh, that was an awesome job. That was that's like that sounds like a really crazy. But like you said, like I said at the be- at the top of your of your presentation of it like i did i took at swim but i don't think i had the right perspective like you just gave the sort of idea of how it's like dreamy and freaky Um, yeah that it was good it was also like when you you know some of the things they say it almost feels like lines of poetry or something where you just pick it out of the air and you're like that's kind of an interesting way of, of like an interesting perspective
0: yeah, it is sort of like that. You know, it's these concepts that are cool to think about. They're unique, and they're, uh, you know, strung together with some sort of story. Like, <laughs> I was almost uh, thinking
1: of um, animation when you were talking it, like saying it. I was, like, thinking, like, this whole, like, animated movie, like, it would be
0: crazy. Yeah, that would probably work, because um, actually the, uh, the version that I have, uh, it's a, a paperback, and the front cover... It's just this weird, green, grassy horizon with a road. And then there's, like, the police barracks, which kind of just looks like a regular house. Mm -hmm. But it's like a 2D shape where it's kind of shaped like a diamond and there isn't, like, a third dimension to it. And that's kind of, um, that's what it is when he, you know, sees it the first time. Uh, Actually, I want to read one, like, two sentences from when he, like, finds this, when he uh, walks up to this police barracks. Uh, Okay. So this is when he hasn't
1: met any of the policemen and just like the beginning.
0: So, So this is what happens when he sees it for the first time. And then the way that the author conveys that it's happening again is he repeats it word for word at the end. Okay. So, okay. It was momentous and frightening the whole morning and the whole world seemed to have no purpose at all, save to frame it and give it some magnitude and position so that I could find it with my simple senses and pretend to myself that I understood it. (laughs) a crest above the door told me that it was a police station i had never seen a police station like it yeah he
1: had some he had some interesting stuff like that like when the when you were reading before the other policeman was like uh you know it took me a year to believe that i made it and like you know weird like things and you're like
0: what (laughs) oh and yeah so much of the book is also focused on bicycles like the policemen are obsessed with it that's all they talk about they talk about their version of atomic theory where people who ride bicycles enough like slowly become like part bicycle by like the exchange <laughs> of atoms <laughs> <laughs> it's another one of the like the uh, hack philosophers theories is that anything you're in contact with like if you walk too much you're giving too much of yourself to like the earth <laughs> mm-hmm. well, oh my god. You're exchanging your your uh, molecules
1: oh my god this
0: is a crazy book. it's awesome and it's a very short read i mean relatively it's it's 200 pages but it goes very quickly Hmm. yeah i recommend it
1: all right another recommend i was wondering that was awesome i think yeah that that went well um i'm wondering too i was thinking about this earlier just as we wrap up here what do you think like i almost think we all get caught into some sort of trap where we're always giving a recommendation do you think you would ever do one where you had like a negative opinion of a book I don't know if I like. I don't know if I live my life that way, you know. Like sometimes, if <laughs> I don't like a book, I just move on, and I don't. I don't know. I wonder if we'll ever do one that's not praise. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I have I'd a rather praise. Ideas. I think. Well, <laughs> yeah. I would have a couple ideas too. I would have a few. Uh, there's a few kind of famous books that I've just completely put down. So.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I feel like I have much less to say when it's criticism. That's you know, very sometimes true, it's just yeah. not for you yeah you're exactly and you right you can't really explain why yeah yeah i see okay what it's not for you <laughs> yeah. yeah but i, I don't no. know uh i think for now or at least from the start it's cool to have you know maybe providing some recommendations of books that people may have seen before or heard oh, of yeah for sure i want to pick up after yeah the, i want to
1: you know, do i want to get like a spoilers. i, I want to get the <laughs> world. <spoilers>. Yeah. <laughs> complete spoilers i want to get the world's you know biggest book club going on so that would be nice Uh, Well, that's pretty much it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Shitty Book Reports. Uh, You can catch us on SoundCloud, Instagram, Twitter, iTunes, pretty much everywhere, at SBR the podcast. You can also email us, sbrthepodcast at gmail.com. Send us uh, criticisms, corrections, maybe some books that you want to hear us talk about, um, and we'll catch you next time.
0: See ya.